Hey guys, we got a special episode of Talk is Jericho for you today uh, to pay tribute to a huge legend in the business. I'm talking about the destroyer, Dick Byer. He passed away Thursday, March 7th at his home in Akron, New York, surrounded by his family. He was 88 years old. That's quite a run. Uh, his son, Kurt, posted a message on Facebook saying that his dad slipped peacefully away surrounded by his family, which is uh, not a bad way to go. So our thoughts and prayers go out to the Byer family at this point in time. But in honor of Dick Byer, we're going to replay the interview I did with him exactly two years ago today. Isn't that crazy? March of 2017. Such a such a coincidence. Like literally two years ago today, Dick and I sat down uh, in Buffalo at a WWE show. We had some tech problems with the recording. However, my mic was not hooked up correctly. That's on me. That's why I sound the way I do. But Dick's mic was fine, thankfully. He sounds great. He talked great at 86 years old, told some amazing stories. I mean, hey, you don't need to hear my bullshit. You know, you want to hear the destroyer, man. Uh, Dick was a masked wrestler who never worked in Mexico. He was not a luchador. Uh, he never really wanted to wear a mask, but he explains how that happened and why it stuck, where he got his first mask, which is a crazy story. Uh, he was a masked wrestler back when wrestling was still all about kayfabe, heels and baby faces traveling separately. He took it very seriously, uh, as you'll hear. Uh, Destroyer wore his mask everywhere. That was the old school way of doing things. And I mean everywhere, uh, not just in the ring or at the arena, but the bank must have been interesting. The grocery store, airports, also interesting, no matter where he was. Like I said, wait till you hear what he made his first few masks out of. It's insane. Uh, he's got stories about all the various territories he worked, including Los Angeles, Oregon, Chicago, Hawaii, Columbus, all the time he spent in Japan. Uh, Dick also talks about the Dr. X gimmick, how that came together. What he thought about Ric Flair using Destroyer's figure four leg lock uh, as the finishing move and what gorgeous George was really like in and out of the ring. I mean, this is wrestling history. I knew that uh, I only had a limited amount of time to talk to the destroyer before he passed away and i did not want all of his stories and all of his history uh to uh, not go undocumented and thankfully we got it documented two years ago today great conversation with a destroyer uh he gave me a free destroyer t-shirt i still wear with great pride deborah harry from blondie wore a destroyer t-shirt with great pride as well you hear that story too so one of the true legends of the biz here's a history lesson if you love pro wrestling uh, a replay uh, in honor of the late great destroyer it's the encore presentation of dick buyer right here on talk is jericho commercial free i hope you enjoy it we'll see you uh, we'll see you later on this week legendary destroyer dick buyer and uh it's cool because we're up in buffalo this is where you live and you came all the way here to, to do this so i'm excited to have you here dick it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun to hear all your memories well it's uh, nice to be here and uh it's nice to be with you because i understand from reading about you that we have similar type of experiences now, in what way? How do you mean? Uh, you're a college person and a wrestler and... Uh, made a record? I, I made a record. A book? <laughs> a book. Yeah, a I had uh, three or four books in Japan written, and I did a uh, an album, a Christmas album. Was that in Japan, or was that, was that released here in the States? No, it was here, in Japan. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was in Japan. And so were you singing Japanese Christmas carols? I did. I sang <laughs> Jingle Bells in Japanese uh -huh. and um, some other things because I had 
several people helping me. So, so when you're singing Japanese Christmas carols, can you speak Japanese? I can speak enough. Enough, right. My daughter speaks more than I do, uh-huh. and my oldest son, who's just came back from Japan. So he can speak it better? And he can speak perfect, or not perfect, but yeah, he can speak it. Good. With me, I, uh, I didn't learn it because I was on a TV show that was very popular, and it was funny if I didn't speak it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they would correct me. You like uh, one of those crazy Japanese game shows? Yes. Or, or variety shows? Yes. Because there's so it many. Was, it was like um, Sunday Night Live or Saturday Night, Night Live. Like a comedy show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, so when you're singing the Japanese Christmas carols, like, are they, are they teaching you the words phonetically? Like, okay, in this line you say... No, I learned it... Uh, before, long before that. Do you remember how it goes in Japanese? Oh, yeah. How does it go? Yo, e ku 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 yasati That's great. This is what, like 40 years later, you still remember how to do it? <laughs> yeah. So, so let me ask you this. I mean, just to, just to jump right in here. How popular were you in Japan that you're making your own record there? You're starring on, this, on these variety shows. You must have been a big, big name in Japan. When I went first went to Japan, I wrestled against a fellow by the name of Ricky Dozen, and he was a sumo champion. Right, but, but also just, just as a little background, Ricky Dozen was kind of like the godfather of Japanese pro wrestling. Right. right? Yeah. So he, well, he, he got into pro wrestling from sumo, and uh, I wrestled him, mm-hmm. and uh, I... At that time, I was the uh, WWA World's Heavyweight Champion, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I went there to defend my title against him. Mm -hmm. Seventy million people listened to that. Seventy million people watched that on TV? Yeah. Seventy million? Seventy million. It's kind of like I ask some people a lot of times about how many people watch the Super Bowl. Right. <laughs> and what is that? How many people watch the Super Bowl? You know, probably I don't know, fifteen million, hundred million, thirty. Thirty. So this is double. Yeah. What the amount mean? of people yeah. watch the Super Bowl? Now, was this one of the first televised wrestling matches or something like this? No, it wasn't a wrestling match. It was. Uh, I wrestled him, and uh, we worked uh, something that didn't destroy him and didn't destroy me, but it made me. Well, yeah. I'm still riding that wave. That's one thing with Japanese fans is they have a long memory and a lot of respect. Yeah. So because you're in that position, even people who weren't alive then still know, my gosh, it's the Destroyer. He's the guy who, you know, had all of these great battles and this huge television audience, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, how was Ricky Dozen as a, as a, as a worker, so to speak? <laughs> Are we live? <laughs> He's terrible. <laughs> well, he, I would say the match was terrific because when I worked, I worked more for wrestling. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of wrestling. So, And he did sumo, so he, he, he chopped the hell out of me because of they use the sumo-type thing. And I 
did everything. Uh, I took all the bumps. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of bumps would you be taking back then? Because like you mentioned, it was much more of a shoot-based style, grappling, mat-based. But when you're taking a bump, what's it off of? Well, it was oh, hip locks, backdrop, okay. uh, foot in the face. Run. So there still was some rope running and some yes. flying movements and stuff like that. Yeah. I didn't do uh, a lot of flying like some of these guys do today. Uh, oh, <laughs> these God. young kids, damn oh, it. God, oh, money. Do you watch the show? Uh, I, I watch that? some. Mm -hmm. I don't watch a lot. What do you think of it now in comparison to when you were working? I think they should wrestle more mm. because it's wrestling. And, uh, of course, Vince has made it a show. Mm -hmm. And he pronounces it as a show. Well, back when I was, we didn't say it was show. It was... Right. It was... Shoot, you you, shoot. you got into it at the start of it. Yes. Just uh, at the very end of, of the, you know, let's say, kayfabe era. Yeah, because there's, there's, I don't know, 20 or 30 territories around the country. Now how many territories are there? Mm -hmm. Basically one. one. <laughs> it's a territory and a couple others, right? But, but yeah, you're right. In space, it's here or nowhere else, and you can really make big money. Right. It's still Japan, but that's about it. Yeah. You know. So Japan, for me, was uh, the fact that I got over as a wrestler against Ricky Dozan. And then my popularity, I went over there. I went to L.A. and... Uh, I put a mask on. So, so let's talk about that. You put the mask on. Why? Why did you put the mask? Because that's obviously what you're known for. It, it was. I've seen you a dozen times back here. You always have the mask on. You never take it off when you're around the arena. Right. And some people, some people will say like somebody like uh, Larry Henning. Yeah. He says, take the goddamn thing <laughs> off. Everybody knows who the hell you are. You know. <laughs> I says, some people don't know, and some people want to see me. Right. With the mask, you know. That's a very old school way of thinking. Yeah. Like Mil Mascaris, we toured Japan with him. I was with him over there. Yeah. He, he left his mask on in the shower. Yeah. If you shower with him. <laughs> I, I got a little lesson from him, too. What's that? Because he wore it all the time, you yeah. know. And I had some great matches with him, mm -hmm. but they were 90% shoot. With him? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It uh, wasn't easy to work with. No. Uh, <laughs> Me too. But uh, now, today, we're very good friends. Well, you guys made it through the wars together, right? Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about the mask. How did you end up getting the mask on? Because originally you started wrestling. Oh, the, I put the mask on. Here's, I was wrestling around Chicago, Dick the Bruiser's territory uh, at Wilbur Snyder's, and uh, I ran into a fellow in Chicago, and I got booked in L.A. So they went out to L.A., and uh, I was out in L.A. for two, three, four months, and uh, they said, they're going to make me a mask man. I said, what are you going to mean, a mask man? I says, I don't even have a mask. He says, Vic Christie will bring a mask to Long Beach tomorrow. I says, Vic Christie's the number one jokester in the business. So he was a wrestler. Oh, yeah. You never heard of Vic? I have not heard of Vic. Oh, no. Vic and Ted were 
brothers. Okay. And uh, they were, Ted was a little shorter and heavier, but they were old timers in the business, you know, and they tricked ribs on everybody, you know. Uh, oh, what God. They One time they were on the beach and uh, they were waiting for Lord Blair's and Curtis ELK and so forth to come down to the beach. So they had to blanket out and sandwiches and different things, you know. And there was other people close by that was had their blankets out and food on the bed. They were in the water. Finally, Lord Blears comes. He comes down and he says, oh, God, you guys got something to eat. Boy, I'm hungry. He says, well, go and sit on a blanket there, you know. So it was the other people's <laughs> blanket that are out in the water. <laughs> so these people are in the water. See this? <laughs> Lord Blair sitting on their blanket. Eating their picnic. <laughs> eating their lunch or whatever. <laughs> So that's the kind of guy that he was. So he he's gonna he's gonna bring you a mask now, Victor, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. He he brings me a mask and I wear the mask and I come back. It was made out of wool and it it, <laughs> it, it has small eye holes. Like a ski mask, like a balaclava or something? Uh, it was it was, it was designed as a wrestling mask. It, it wasn't that bad, uh-huh. but you couldn't see out of it, right. and you couldn't eat out of it. Like this mask I got on now, I can eat, I can drink, I can do everything. It's a great mask. It covers nothing. Yeah. I mean, it covers none of your uh, orifices, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. So anyway, I, uh, I go out and wrestle this guy, and I come back in, and uh, uh, Jules Strongbow was the promoter in L.A. at the time. And uh, he's the one that had the th- thought of the mask with Vic Christie bringing it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I come back into the dressing room and I says, and I took the mask off and threw it on the floor and says, you can tell Jules Strongbow that he's seen the first and last of the Destroyer. <laughs> right. So I'm now I'm, I go downtown to get my license in L.A., because I needed a license in there, you got to be fingerprinted, you had your picture taken. Like and a so, wrestling license. Yeah. Yeah, for the commission. Right? So, so I, uh, I go down and uh, they says your name is not on the list to have your uh, wrestling license. wrestling yeah. license. I says, oh, I just came from Hawaii. I was Dick Byer over there, and uh, what's the big deal? He says, well, they got you wearing a mask and we need to get a picture of you. I says, well, what's my name? He says, the Destroyer. I say, uh, forget it. So they, I finally put the mask on and I started working with it. And uh, I did well. I went to Japan as the Destroyer. And <laughs> they must have liked that because it's mysterious, right? Yeah. Mysterious identity of the Destroyer. Right. Did people know that it was Dick Byer with the mask on? No. Right. No, I tried to keep it a secret all the time. You know, I you worked with the hood, did you? Only one time. Oh, did you? Only one time in Japan. I, 
Um, yeah. It's hard though, like you know, to to try and keep it a secret. And like you said, keeping it on at all times. I'm sure there's always people that are trying to get a picture of you. Oh, whenever you step outside your room, you have to wear it. Yeah. Did you ever like go into a bank or something like that? Oh, sure. What they think when you walk in there? Oh, they. I I I went through customs, immigration, with the hood on because. They knew who I was, mm -hmm. the destroyer having wrestled Ricky Dozen. So I wore my mask all the time. So they never gave you a hassle even going through immigration and customs? After 9-11. Wow. So I, I go through now without it. Mm, okay. But they don't know I'm the destroyer either. Right. See, I. <laughs> yeah, I can see if you're going through the customs or if you're going to the bank or something, people might be a little bit uh, scared if you're walking through with a mask. Oh, yeah. Oh. They were, yeah. But, but after I wrestled Rookie Dose and people knew who I was through immigrations, customs. And, well, yeah, they know your mask, right? But yeah. somebody else can take your mask and put it on. Yes. You know, yeah. That would always be the, the, the worrisome thing about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Although with your nose sticking out there, it's, it's broken a few times. <laughs> I've had my nose broken a few times. <laughs> How did you des uh, decide on this mask design? Probably the, the one design was I had that one mask and I threw it, and, you know. So my first wife was a very good seamstress. Mm -hmm. So uh, I says, we're going shopping tomorrow for my wife says, you don't like to go shopping. I said, yeah, we gotta, gotta get a woman's girdle. She said, well, where are you gonna get one? Well, Ox Anderson, he wore a mask at some times, and he had one and he threw it to me, and I put it on, and it was similar to the one I got on now. And I says, well, what are, where'd you buy these? He says, that's from a woman's girdle, <laughs> and uh, you can buy them at Woolworths. So um, I went shopping with my wife, and I'm trying on masks. Girdles. Uh, girdles, rather. So you're putting girdles over your head? Yes. To see if it fits your, your face? It, yeah. <laughs> I, well, the girdle was, I used to put them on upside down because the, the elastic for the stockings was up here. On the top of your head. Yeah, so they wasn't down here. So I put it on and one was too big, too small. I finally used a small tall. I told my wife, I says, go over there and see if you can buy a dozen small tall. She says, what do you want a dozen for? I says, well, we're gonna make one red, one blue, one black, you know, so, so that'll match my shoes and my tights. You know, so that's why where the various masks came Came from a girdle. Came from a story. woman. I says, I, I'm the only guy in the wrestling business that sticks his head in a girdle every night. <laughs> <laughs> and not in a good way. <laughs> so we're talking a little bit earlier about uh, about how things have changed as far as kayfabe and stuff like that. And when you were, were wrestling, especially in Japan, probably years while well, you're, 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 you're a heel, you're a yeah. villain. Yeah. So how was that uh, in those days when people believed that everything was completely a thousand percent real? Did, did you get in a lot of fights and problems after the matches, before the matches, during the matches? I got into some trouble in Seattle, Washington, and I had wrestled uh, 
Luther Lindsay. Okay, wow. Yeah, and uh, Luther was a pretty good wrestler. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got into some problems with him, not against him, but he had to save me <laughs> from the people. We had to, I said, let's start a fight and we'll go up, fight to the dressing room. We had a lot of heat for some reason or other. Uh, so you're fighting through the crowd back to the dressing room? Dressing room, yeah. And with Luther. And Shag Thomas was another black wrestler up there. Mm -hmm. uh, but Luther was a good wrestler, shooter or whatever you want to say. But uh, my work was not. I had a lot of heat, mm -hmm. but it was wrestling heat. I didn't have to, out in Oregon and Washington, they always had a policeman take you to the ring and back. So your heat was, was, was in the ring with the tactics they used and not from being over the top, you know, yelling at people. Or yeah, oh yeah. I did all of it. Because okay. <laughs> right, right, yeah. sometimes, you know, even when I was, I was at my peak as a heel, people would charge the ring and try and get in the ring or punch me from behind where I was looking. I had that out in L.A. Somebody got me on the way to the ring or from the ring uh, with a uh, beer can opener. Stabbed you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you find him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things didn't end up too well for that guy. Right? Yes. <laughs> so you talk about all these different territories that you worked in in the States. What, what were some of the, the best ones for you as far as the runs that you had there? There was, uh, God, uh, I worked eight or ten territories at least. Mm -hmm. But the best territory I ever worked that I liked, not where I made the most money, but it was Oregon. Mm -hmm. Is that for Don Owen? Or? Don Owen. Gotcha. Don Owen, every night you got paid. Just <laughs> quite the accomplishment. You know, I, I left to go to the matches with 10 bucks in my pocket, and if you worked, you got maybe 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, you know, uh, for Don Owens. Mm -hmm. But you got an honest count, you know, uh, with Don Owens. And the guys that I worked with up there, I worked with Luther mm -hmm. and Shay, and uh, my tag team partners were Don Manukian and uh, Art Boombahelic. <laughs> Did you know him? No. no uh, these, both of those guys played football. Both Art Boombahelic played with the 49ers. Mm -hmm. He was a linebacker. And uh, Don Manukian, uh, he played with the Raiders. So what year is this that we're talking about? I'm talking about uh, 19... 60s. Okay, so the mid 60s around. There. 60s and 70s. So if you're going to put together a ring, let's say, or sorry, put together a match, you know, now we talk in the back, we go in the ring and do it. Back then, did you just meet up in the ring? Did you have separate dressing rooms, heels and baby faces, or were you allowed to talk to each other beforehand? How did that work? We were in the dressing rooms together. Okay, so was it completely split then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. We could one would go out one door, and one would go out the other door. You know. Okay. And, but uh, yeah, an idea what they were gonna yeah, do. Sure. You, you know, we worked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and how about in Japan? Uh, Japan was different. 
I got I got along with Baba, and I went to work for Baba because Baba came to Buffalo, and he was living in a town in Canada called Crystal Beach. It was a summer resort area uh, about 20 miles from Buffalo and about 30 miles or 40 miles from Toronto. So Baba worked and he was trained by... Was it Billy Robinson or something like that? No, it wasn't Billy then. Fred Atkins. Okay, gotcha. There you go. Yeah. Never heard of him either. I'm yeah, he's, a, he's from Australia. Okay. But this was in Canada that they were training. Yeah. I didn't know that Baba trained in Canada. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He was, uh, he lived at Crystal Beach. He, after uh, I got to working for him and so on, three, four, five, ten years later, he wanted to come to Buffalo to go to Crystal Beach to see what he, it was like when he started out in the business. <laughs> Probably in chains, right? Oh, God, yeah. Did, so did you work mostly for Baba in Japan? Or did you work for Anoki as well? Yeah, I worked before Baba. You worked, worked, worked. I worked with... Uh, sure, Ricky Dozen. Ricky Dozen, and, and that was a, a single match. I went over there, and... Uh, Baba could have been there. I don't don't remember. Yeah, but they were all. There's Bob and Anoki kind of started with Ricky Doze and yeah, Al, right. Branched out yeah, to their own company. Yeah, Anoki and Baba didn't get along. Right. But uh, I could care less. I never worked for Anoki. I went to work for Baba, mm-hmm. and uh, Baba's company was All Japan Pro Wrestling, and uh, I think that. Ricky Dozens was all Japan pro wrestling. Gotcha. So when you would go there, how long would you, how long were the tours for? Were they six weeks? The tours? Yes. That's a long time. Seven weeks, eight weeks. Wow. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that Japan in the sixties and seventies for eight weeks. Yeah. It's not like today where you got your phone and you can Skype and you can call home whenever you want. It must have been pretty hard to stay in contact with your family when you're over there for that long. I took my family. You did? <laughs> At one time. Okay. Yeah, one time I took my wife and three kids with, with my... With the family. With the whole family. But that's not every trip, though. That was just one time. No, that was just one time. So would you be writing letters from there, or would you... I did. Phone calls I made, too. Yeah. So yeah. who were some of the other foreign guys that you were with when you were over there? Ilio DiPaolo? Yeah. Yeah, he was there? Yeah. Ilio was there at one time. This is pre Stan Hansen and Andre the Giant and those type of guys. You were there long before they ever got there. Yeah, but I worked with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were there when Andre was there, for example. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. He was funny. <laughs> he gave faith. He'd be in their dressing room and Andre was Andre. Yeah. <laughs> what would he do? One thing, when I was uh, in a dressing room, I wanted him to do an autograph, you know, and I, he says, I don't do autographs for them. He <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't do it, right? Yeah, I don't know why, you know, because it was, he had done it before, and I had asked him before, and uh, when I went around the world, I ran into Andre, for the first time in Paris mm. with uh, Frank Belois. Did you know him? 
I know the name. That's the guy who kind of discovered Andre, sort of. He was promoting, or was he? Well, he was a, a wrestler in Montreal. And uh, so I was in Paris, and I got to know Andre. We went out one night in a restaurant. Christ, they're breaking dishes. It's a boom. He's just, Andre is? Yeah. Just throwing at the wall? Yeah. Just for the hell of it? It was, it was something that is traditional oh, in, in France. France. If you like the food or some damn thing, and he's, he's doing this here. Throwing <laughs> dishes against the wall? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, then I went back to the States, and I worked Montreal. Mm-hmm. When I worked Montreal... Andre came in, and he was living in Montreal, and uh, then he was going to work Buffalo for Pedro Martinez, and uh, the Montreal office says, can you pick him up and take him to a couple of the towns? And he could speak English mm-hmm. at that time. Right. And uh, so fast forwarded. We get back to Buffalo, and I'm working with him in Hamilton. And they tell me, tomorrow you're going to pick up Andre and take him to, uh, you're going to work in Cleveland in two nights. But he says, but tomorrow night I'm working in another town. I'll think of it. But he says, go by the hotel and pick up Andre and take him with you. So I... We, we go to this town, and uh, he don't speak anything going down to the town. And uh, after the matches, he speaks his first English. We need beer. <laughs> we were going from that town to Cleveland. <laughs> and we're going to wait Cleveland that night, or the next night. Yeah, and... Uh, then I was going to drive him back to Buffalo. But uh, we got into Cleveland, and uh, we had a case of beer in, that thing in between us. And I had uh, four beers. He drank 20 beers. Get the 20. And we get into the hotel. He says, we need more beer. <laughs> got it more beer. When he got to the hotel, there was a restaurant in the, on the, down in the basement. He went down there and got a bottle of uh, vodka. So next night, he, he worked. <laughs> he was good. He was in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> you could drink a lot, that guy, right? Oh. That was always the rumor about Andre. He could drink that woman on the table. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Montreal, you mentioned uh, Oregon, and you talked about how Don Owens was a good payoff guy. Yeah. Who, who were some of the other promoters that were good payoffs, and who were the worst payoff promoters? I worked, uh, I'll give you the territories I, I worked. I started off in Columbus, Ohio, for Al Haft. And uh, I worked against a lot of college wrestlers, Big Bill Miller, Joe Scarpa. They were all... Uh, so that was the Columbus territory. There was yeah, more kind of. I work. I work Columbus, and then uh, I went from Columbus to Chicago, and then from 
Chicago, I went to Hawaii, and then I went to L.A., and then I went up to Portland, Oregon. And uh, intermittently, in between, I'd go back to Buffalo. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I, didn't, I went from one town to Buffalo to another town, you know, sure, because yeah. that was my home, and that's mm -hmm. where my wife was from, and, you know, I got to had some kids along the way too. <laughs> so how long would you stay in these territories for? I was very fortunate in that I I booked the territories myself. I worked the territories myself. And uh, So you would come in as the booker? Pardon? You would come into a territory and book the territory? No, no, I didn't book the territory. You booked your own stuff? I book. I, I would call a promoter and oh, book myself. Book yourself to the territory. Uh, I, I'm available in this, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today you got to call Vince McMahon or... <laughs> and you stay there no matter what's going on, whereas in your time, if it started, if you started not liking what you were doing, you could just leave. I could leave. And go somewhere I else. I just leave a two-week notice. Say, I'm going to leave in two weeks. So when, when would you know that it was time to move on? Probably because of the way they were booking me mm -hmm. or uh, the money I was making. So I had a choice of if I wasn't making any money, I could tell the promoter. I always told the promoters where I was going or how long I wanted to stay. And uh, it was, uh, I, I booked myself mm. most of the time. So you would know if, 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 you know, if the money was still good, you would stay. Yeah. If you started doing, you know, a lot of jobs and the money starts going down. Right. Time to split, right? Time to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so some of the opponents that you work with, like, did you work, I know you worked with Gorgeous George. Yeah. So what was, was this towards the end of his career? No. Right I worked with him. I worked with him in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. uh, I was Dick Byer. Okay. <laughs> uh, That's before I even put the hood on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I worked with him there. Uh, and I also worked with Blassie there. Oh, okay. And um, we got to be very good friends because Blassie dropped the WWA belt to me in L.A., that made me go to Japan, and in Japan, I uh, they told me they says uh, I was talking to uh, the great Togo. He was booking Japan, and I was the champion. And they said, "You want to go to Japan?" I says, "I'd love to." I says, "What's it going to be worth?" He says, "I can get you fifteen thousand." Now back then. Not that was bad. that was big money. For how for how long? Fifteen thousand for two weeks, three weeks. That's I don't huge. remember. Yeah. yeah, it's huge money. Even yeah. today, it's good money for, for Japan. Yeah, today Japan's gotten down now because yeah. it's not what it was. But fifteen thousand for let's say two weeks. Then right. would but be like then I gotta I gotta correct you now. See, because he says the fifteen thousand. Jules Strongbow, the promoter in L.A., gets five. <laughs> and Togo says, I get five, and you get five. So I got five grand. But even back then, 
That was big money. That's still good. Yeah. But even though you had to pay 66% of it to the bookers. Yeah. You had to pay five grand to Japan and five grand to yeah. the promoter in LA. Yeah. That's quite the scam. But uh, that was the, still the best money I'd made up to that time. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I made good money in LA. But where did I make lousy money? Oh, God. Uh, Kentucky and Tennessee, Nick Goulas. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably heard that I've before. Heard in the same context. Huh? In the same context. Not a good uh, not a good guy to work for. No. Yeah. No. What would he pay you for a week before a match? Ten bucks. Mm. <laughs> wow. Wow. So when you worked with George, first of all, I want to ask you a couple questions about George. George cause what was he like as a, as a, as a guy? Oh, he was good. Yeah. He was a good wrestler. Mm -hmm. uh, I had uh, no problem with uh, Blassie, no problem with Gorgeous George. I had no problem with Luthez. You know? Wow, it was like working with Fez. Uh, it was great because he, he wrestled. And uh, the only problem was he was left-handed. <laughs> Meaning? <laughs> Meaning that the punches came from the, <laughs> this side rather than this side. It, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it seemed like with a guy like Fez, you'd have to earn his respect. Oh, yeah. As, as a wrestler, quote unquote, as a shooter. Yeah. Right? I had that. Yeah. Right off the bat? Yeah. Or did you have to earn it with him? No, I uh, I wrestled in college. Yeah, sure, sure. And I did well. Mm, okay. So I didn't have any problem with anybody in the business mm. as far as wrestling was concerned or having to fight my way out of a... Uh, out of a situation. Luther would maybe one of them. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get any shoots in the ring? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm trying, trying to remember. It was in... Uh, L.A., I should remember that. <laughs> uh, Needless to say, I'm sure you held your own. Oh, yeah, I, I had no problem. Right. Uh, but the punches come in a little bit harder than you want them to, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you worked with George, uh, you had a, a famous hair versus mask match. Yes, that was, that was later on in my career. Uh, and I went... From I was working in L.A. at the time, and we used to go work up through Bakersfield and uh, as far north out of San Diego, all the way down to the Mexican border south. And then you're talking two or three hundred miles. But uh, the the one uh, with George, he had a bar in Sepulveda Street that runs from. San Diego all the way to San Francisco. Right, yeah. And he had a he had a bar in Sepulveda, on Sepulveda, which is a town going into uh, Bakersfield. Because I worked Bakersfield, so I went early and I stopped by the bar and uh, just to see him, because I hadn't seen him in a while. And I talked to him for an hour and he says, he says, Dick, he says, I need a payday. I says, uh, what do you mean? He says, he says, I want you to book you and I in LA. I says, well, I'll talk to Jules Strongbow. So I talked to Jules Strongbow, the next week I went by, he says, 
we can have a match, he says. He says, he says, I'll make it more exciting. He says, let's go the hair against the mask. I says, uh, well, I'm not taking the mask off. He says, I don't care, I'll shave my head. But uh, Jules, Strongbow, he didn't think it would draw. Because- hmm. Why George is famous for his hair, his golden locks. Yeah, but it was tail end of his career. Past his prime, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so it didn't excite Jules Strongbow, but we had to match, and it did draw. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, at the Olympic, and uh, so uh, he had two of his barbers <laughs> come in the ring and shave his head. Wow. <laughs> what kind of reaction did that get from the fans? Oh, they, the fact that he was a, at that particular moment in my career, I was a baby face. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and he was a heel in, in the match, and uh, so the people got a, 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 they paid money for the pair. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's pretty, uh, that, that's pretty amazing that he would have done that. What was your finish at that point in time? I used the figure four leg lock. Ah, okay. Uh, Buddy Rogers was using it yeah. before that, and when he retired, I never liked to copy somebody's move. So I used on TV. I says, I says I got a good pair of legs. I do. Mm -hmm. So I says, and I'm gonna start using Buddy Rogers' hold, <laughs> a figure four leg lock. So, so I did that at one gimmick that we had, uh, somebody ran in at a corner post <laughs> and uh, missed, he missed a, a knee drop on me and, and I put the figure four on him. See, uh, that's, that's the way that started. Uh, uh, and then Flair started using it. Yeah, yeah. So you got that from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did he tell you he was gonna use it or did he just start using it? No, he just started using it. <laughs> So, uh, at that particular time, maybe I was going down in my career. <laughs> so, I took Ric Flair's kid to Japan. Really? Yeah. Reed? Huh? Reed Flair? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, because you took a lot of kids over to Japan for yeah. amateur wrestling. Right. Oh, okay. So I took him over there, and uh, he didn't do well. <laughs> he, he got his ass kicked a couple times. <laughs> Did you ever work with Flair? Oh, yeah. How were those matches? Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. When you were, like you said, you've been around the business at this point in time for 10, 20, 30 years. When you see a guy like Flair come in, do you know right away that guy's going to be a star? Yeah. Yeah? I knew. Yeah. Uh, you could just tell by his style. Yeah. The way he talked. Mm -hmm. You know as well as I do, you got to be able to have a a mouth on, mm -hmm. along with a body that works. Mm -hmm. You know, some guys can get the mic and it doesn't mean anything. Somebody else gets the mic and it means something. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. you've seen that. Who are some of the other great talkers that you knew through the business? I mean, obviously Flair is one of them. You're talking about guys like that. Who else did, did you work with that was just tremendous at doing promos? Well, Blassie was one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. And the fact that I worked against Blessy in 
early in my career as Dick Beyer, and then we work, worked in uh, Hawaii together, mm-hmm. and then we worked in L.A. together. Freddie was uh, the one that put me over the best. Mm-hmm. As yeah. far as making you as a star? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he was going to go back to Georgia, where he worked, and he had the belt in L.A., and he gave me the belt, you know. He had a lot of heat as a heel oh. in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for you to meet him was a big deal. Yeah. He had a lot of heat in Japan as well. Pardon? Lots of, a lot of heat in Japan as well. Oh, he had a, some people die watching TV with him wrestling. Did you I, ever hear I, that I've story? I've heard that story yeah. before. And is, that, is that real or is that wrestling? That's real. So someone was watching TV and was so terrified yeah. that they saw. Yeah. They had a heart attack. And yeah, that's, that's the way it was. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of, uh, that's kayfabe for sure. Yeah. Uh, I worked Houston, Dallas. Houston was the town, and Dallas was the uh, town in the territory. Corpus Christi, and so I worked there. I worked in. Well, was, was, was it Houston Paul Bosch? Yes. And Dallas was Fritz von Erich, right? Right. So, which one of those guys did you like working with more? Who was a better payoff guy, Bosch or Fritz von Erich? Bosch. Yeah, <laughs> I heard that too. I got into business with Fritz too, uh, with Ilio De Paolo. Mm-hmm. The three of us put up money to promote Rochester, New York. Really? <laughs> Fritz from Dallas was going to promote Rochester? Well, he worked. He lived in Niagara Falls for a while, and he worked Buffalo, and he was a good card in Rochester as a heel. Mm. And Ilio DiPaolo was a babyface, and I was going to be the announcer. I, I did the announcing on the television show that we had, we had a studio show, and I was the announcer, and we, between the three of us, we promoted the town to where boys could go in there and get three or four hundred dollars on a main event payoff. Wow, so it's a good place. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I worked an angle with Fritz von Erich in Cleveland on studio show, mm-hmm. with the leg and so on and so forth. He was good to work with. Mm. Uh, Strong guy, obviously. Yeah. Let's talk a little about Dr. X. That was a gimmick that you had when you went to work for, for, for Ghana. Yeah. And why, why, why would he want to? Why, why Dr. X? I worked against, I was working in Chicago. Chicago was promoted by Vern Gagne and Dick DeBruiser and Wilbur Schneider. One was in Minneapolis and the other was in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And they booked ta- the talent from both territories work Chicago. So I worked against Ganya one night and we had 18,000 in the house. And uh, Ganya came to my dressing room. He said, I want you to come up to Minneapolis for me. I says, well, am I gonna make some money? He says, you're gonna work like you did tonight. <laughs> so, so anyway, I worked. He says, I want you to change the destroyer because everybody knows that the destroyer is Dick Beyer. 
I says, well, who the hell's Dick Byer? He never made any money. <laughs> who did he ever beat? Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, I says, okay, I'll come in, fly in. So I flew in from Buffalo to Minneapolis. And I went to the TV studio, and I put a paper bag over my head and two little eyes and black thing. And uh, Ganya come over during this thing and says, the hell are you doing with the bag on your head? I says, you wanted me to come in as not the destroyer, so I'm here as Dr. X. He says, you're going to work as Dr. X? I says, yeah, I'm going to come here for another couple of weeks to your studio show. And uh, one night, I'll, you get in the ring of wrestling, I'll jump in and put the hole on you. So <laughs> we did that. I'm sitting in the audience. People are starting. This is two, three weeks. People are asking me all the time, what are you doing here? I says, well, it's none of your business. He said, are you a wrestler? I says, well, it's none of your business, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're sitting there with a bag on your head. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. So everyone's wondering who the hell you are. Yeah, they don't know who I am. So I, that particular week, I jump over the top rope, Ganya's in the ring, and I put the figure four on. And I grab the microphone and I do an interview on the mic in the ring with Marty Solon. Did you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I uh, I did the interview and I said, I want, I want to wrestle you in Chicago. So I heard you wrestle the Destroyer. I said, I want to see you wrestle Dr. X in Chicago. So in the, as, as Dr. X, I wore black shoes, black tights, black top, black mask with a X on it. Mm-hmm. So, and I, mask. and I, yeah, it was different style, everything. Was it still made out of a girdle? Huh? Was it still made out of a girdle? No. <laughs> <laughs> you had professional mask makers at that point, right? <laughs> Yeah. Well, my wife was... Okay, right. Today. She didn't Yeah. Work. Anyway, I wrestled Ganya, and the people didn't know if they didn't catch on, Destroyer, or... They had no idea. No idea, because I changed my style of working a little bit, you know, and... Yeah. It got over big. It got, got over. Even today, she works our uh, golf course, mm-hmm. the Australia Golf Course, and uh, we have Dr. X masks for sale. We have Destroyer masks for sale. You know, I still get Dr. X shirts. I get things around because there was a there were, I had a tag team partner. In Minneapolis, it was Dr. X and Double X. And he went and worked down in uh, Oklahoma and Texas as Dr. X. Oh, he took over the Dr. X. <laughs> so he worked down there as Dr. X. Hey, when I started in Calgary, there was a Dr. X and a Mr. X. So there was two. Oh, is that right? Probably Dr. X is all across the country. <laughs> <laughs> and also, too, there's a famous picture of Blondie. Oh, yeah. Wearing a Dr. X shirt. I saw that. I was in a southern town, and I saw this in the window. Mm-hmm. This Dr. X shirt. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she wore, she wore them. 
all the time. I don't know why. You know, she, that's what she, she's she, from New York. Maybe she watched wrestling or something, or it wouldn't have been New York because I worked Chicago, I Minneapolis. Know. But actually, you know what's funny? She was a wrestling fan. I interviewed somebody. Maybe it was after or somebody that said he used to go to the matches with her. <laughs> maybe 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 it was a photographer. But she used to be a wrestling fan, so maybe she saw it in a magazine. Yeah. Or something saw Doctor X yeah. and got the T-shirt. Yeah, give me some free publicity. Yeah. <laughs> so I I um, I went to the store in Chicago that had them, and I just went there to find out <laughs> where she got them and so on and so forth. See, see who's selling T-shirts and making money off you. And not yeah. giving any any royalties off it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just a, a couple more questions as we wind down here, Dick. Did you ever, you know, being such a one of the most famous masked men in wrestling history, did you ever work in Mexico at all? No. You never worked Mexico. Worked uh, L.A., San Diego, mm-hmm. but I never worked Mexico. Did, did some of the luchadors? Come, I know you mentioned Bill Masteris. Yeah. Is there any other of the masked guys that you worked with that would come to L.A. to work? With? Oh yeah. There would be several. Mm-hmm. Any uh, others that you remember? Yeah. No, I can't remember any. No. I know maybe Dos Caras, maybe. Oh, uh, there was Dos Caras. Yeah. He's the opposite of Mill. He was fun to work with. Yeah. yeah. But I worked against. You had him in your story. Uh, Guerrero? Guerrero? Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever. Did you work with Chavo Guerrero? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Chavo was kind of the, the older brother yes. in that family. Right. Yeah, he, was, he, was, he was pretty popular in Los Angeles as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Who were some of your favorite opponents that you ever worked with over the years? One of the best workers was uh, Don Manukian hmm. because he played football at Stanford mm-hmm. and uh, he worked with uh, Ray Stevens in, in the San Francisco area. Okay. He was he was one. Mm-hmm. Billy Red Lions. Mm-hmm. But Billy is my brother-in-law. Oh really? Yeah. Don't you dare miss it. That was his big tagline. <laughs> he was an announcer for uh, Canadian wrestling. Maybe right. Wrestling in Canada. Yeah. yeah. You guys probably got it. Yeah. He he was a great worker, Billy. Mm. But he worked. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, How about in Japan? In Japan, Jumbo Tsuruta mm. was... He was really good, wasn't he? Yeah, he was yeah. He was very good. He was a good wrestler, too. Mm. Uh, I think he was a pretty successful amateur wrestler. Maybe even the Olympics, maybe Jumbo was. Yeah. yeah. Inoki was good, but he, I worked with him in Oregon. Mm. And I had no trouble. Some people had trouble with Inoki. I didn't have any trouble with him. You won so many. I figured it out how many matches I had a week mm-hmm. in my when I was growing up and, and so on and forth. I multiplied it. I wrestled 39 years mm-hmm. in the business, right? And um, I figured I had uh, 10,800 matches. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of body slams and turnbuckles. Do you have a, a, a favorite match 
that stands out? Is there a couple of matches that you remember, like some one of the, one of the best I ever had? One, one that was bad. <laughs> oh no, it was bad. Yeah, you remember the bad ones, right? <laughs> I, I wrestled against a, uh, a guy from. Uh, he was a Russian. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Buffalo, he lived in Buffalo, and uh, and he was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was he was terrible. I couldn't even make him a, a, a good wrestler. <laughs> That's the worst feeling when you know you're having a stinker of a match and there's nothing yeah. to do. Yeah. Go home, yeah. in me. <laughs> How about in a good way? Is there a good one that stands out for you? Red Bastine. Red Bastine was very, very good. I worked with him a lot in different territories, too. Do you keep in touch with, with any guys? Who? Do you Pardon? keep in touch with anybody that you used to work with? You know what? I go to Cauliflower Alley Club all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mingle with a lot of people because at that one time, there was a lot of territories. I guess I must have went to 15 territories. Mm-hmm. They're dying off. <laughs> Bachwinkle, mm-hmm. Bird Bastide, Don Manukian, they all died this past year. Mm. I go out, uh, I get a, a note from Tom Burke up in New England, and he sends out a letter with all the guys that died. Mm. this past year 72 wrestlers mm-hmm. well, a lot of them I didn't know but there's Still. there's people in in your bio that you wrote mm-hmm. that I didn't hear this guy or that guy but I knew him and I, mm-hmm. uh, Ted DiBiase was good mm-hmm. the, the father huh? T- Ted the son yeah Ted DiBiase right, right. that was Mike Mike DiBiase was the, was the father. Yeah. He was good. He was, but he, he died in the ring. Mike did. Yeah. Yeah, I heard that. Were you there? Uh, no. He had like a heart attack or something? He, well, I don't think he died in the ring, but he had a heart attack or something. Yeah. But he died from the ring, you know. And then Ted DiBiase yeah. was in the territory that I was in, and we traveled a lot together, and mm-hmm. he was good, but... Like you mentioned about, about so many guys. How old are you, Dick? Now 86. 86. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you might be one of the oldest wrestlers. You're alive. right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's amazing to have you here and have you on the show. I appreciate this. Yeah. It's great. Are you going to, when, when, when your time comes, are you going to have the mask on when uh, you get buried? You <laughs> wear the mask? No. no. <laughs> I know Santo. I, you know Santo, the famous Mexican. Oh yeah, got buried in his mask. Is that right? Yeah. So there are guys, but you no, might be shaking your head. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be buried in Waikiki. Ah, I'm gonna have a uh, a Beach Boys funeral. Oh yeah. Yep. What it is is you have your ashes. Yeah. And then you take it out, take your family out, and they. They dump the ashes, then they ride the wave in, uh-huh. and then they get a surfboard, and they gotta go out, uh-huh. and they say, "Okay, pop, kick up a wave." Dick, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you, man. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. You're a legend. 
a legendary guy right here. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you, I, I appreciate the fact that you called me because after reading your story, you're going to find out in reading the book that we are very close in what we did in, mm. with our life. Well, that's why I wanted to get a chance to talk to you too with the experiences that you've had. Oh, not, not talking about the things we've done, but just being in the business itself. Yeah. From the 60s and 70s all the way to now, we're all brothers in one way, shape, or form because we right. understand what it's like to be on the road taking bumps away right. from our family. So it's great to have, to get to talk to you about your experiences from 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's the same stuff that we're going through today. <laughs> I, I work, you mentioned Nicholas and different, different things, you know. Yeah, yeah. When I started out, I started in Columbus, Ohio. Right. And uh, I worked uh, with, I said, a lot of wrestlers like Joe Scarpa and, uh, and the fellow that you mentioned that took the name of. Uh, yeah, Joe Scarf and Chief Jay Strongbow. Chief Jay Strongbow, yeah, yeah. 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 And I worked with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, give me one more, uh, give me one more line from the from the Japanese Christmas Carol. Yo koso koko e gu 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 yaso iyo udobidori o yuki o keri kaze o kite. Yasuo Narani, 